Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Come on, who wants to hear from God this morning? I say this a lot, but I think we need to be reminded. I don't turn up to church for a TED Talk. I can do that at home. Um, I don't turn up to church for Christian karaoke. I can do that at home. Um, I don't even turn up to church to give because I can do that electronically at home. But I come because I want a God encounter. And something, it's scriptural, something special happens when multiple believers gather together with a desire to encounter God. It's scriptural. It's as old as time itself. Something special happens in the room. Like there's this scripture where Jesus says, if two or more are gathered together in my name, give us a wave if you're gathered for Jesus. There's about 40. So that's good. You know, it's about you know, a quarter of the crowd here, a third of the crowd. Um, it says, if two or more are gathered together in my name, I'll be with them. That's Jesus speaking. Which means even if you can't see him, even if you can't feel him, even if you don't notice his presence, Jesus is here. He's walking up and down the altar. He's walking up and down the aisles. He might even be walking through your seat as we speak right now, which is kind of incredible if you think about it. Because everywhere that Jesus turned up in Scripture, something special happened, right? Even when he's walking to somewhere or from somewhere and he hasn't even arrived yet, miracles would happen. Things would actually break out. Which means if you are here today, you could encounter the miracle power of Jesus Christ. So you might have come and sung songs, which is great. You might have come in and given, which is great. You might hear me preach, which is great. But you could have a divine encounter with God. So here's what we're going to do. I want everyone to close your eyes. I want you to look around. If you want a divine encounter with Jesus, I want you to lift your hand. Not for me. I don't need to see it. Although my hand is raised because I want Jesus to see me. Say, Jesus, I'm here. I could be at home. I could be fishing. I could be at Kmart picking up a bargain. But I'm here because more important than all of those things is encountering you, encountering your presence. Now, just know when your hand is raised, we're not specifying. Who knows what Jesus might do? He might answer the miracle you're praying for. He might give you one you haven't asked for. He might challenge you. He might do something else completely off the scale. That's the thing with Jesus. He does his own thing. But he does love to encounter his people. Jesus, we just thank you so much for your presence. We honour and acknowledge your presence in the room. Even though we can't see you and many of us can't feel your presence, we acknowledge that you are here in accordance with your word. And so, Jesus, I pray for every hand raised and maybe even a couple that haven't that should have. God, I pray that you would encounter us, that you would do something in us, that your will would happen on earth as it is in heaven, that we would see your miraculous power at work in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Ever had a conversation with somebody? And you just took it at face value. But then when you got in the car on the way home, you were like, hang on a minute. What did she mean by that? Anyone ever done that? Like you're on the phone. It's all good. And then you get off the phone and later on you're like, hang on a minute. What was that guy actually saying? Anyone ever had that? Yeah, in the moment, it seems good. In the moment, it seems fine. In the moment, it seems very normal. But later on, when you're reflecting, you're like, hang on a minute. I think there was a little bit more going on there than that. Were they insulting me? Were they encouraging me? Was that a job offer? Were they flirting with me? Whatever it might be, there's more going on than meets the eye. There is this passage of Scripture, and I was looking at it. And what's unusual about it is it isn't very weird, which for me is an unusual thing because I love the weird parts of the Bible. So I read it and I took it at face value. And I was like, that's a very nice passage of Scripture. But then the Holy Spirit said to me, that's the miracle month Scripture. And I thought, huh, fascinating. But then as I thought more about it, I'm like, hang on a minute. Is there something else going on here? And there's this little bit of nugget right at the very end that really made me pause and think about it. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 3 to 7. If you've got a physical Bible, it's right near the end. So you just flip through to the back of the Bible and go back a little bit. You've got a digital Bible, it's in the New Testament, scroll right through to the end. You could Google this if you don't have a Bible, 2 Timothy. They'll put the scripture on the screen if you don't have it, so you'll be able to read along. And I brought my Bible, I will read it to you. This Seemingly obvious, yet not so obvious part of Scripture. When you got it, say, got it. If you don't have it, I'll give you 10 more seconds, and then I will read this unusual passage of Scripture. It says, You therefore, 
must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Pause. So it's saying, even if you are a Christian, even if you're full of the Holy Spirit, even if you've been at Shiloh since Jesus was a kid, you're still going to go through some tough times. We all go through tough times, which is a great way to start this scripture because it's actually kind of encouraging. Because I don't know about you, sometimes when I go through tough times, I think, is that just me? Is there something wrong with me? Am I a little bit messed up? Why does this keep happening to me? So he is saying here in scripture, no matter how great you are, no matter how perfect you are, no matter how full of the Holy Ghost you are, no matter how many times you pray in tongues, no matter how many miracles you've seen, everybody's going to go through stuff that's a little bit tough from time to time. But then he goes on, And he describes the kinds of people that go through tough times. He says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Soldier. Everyone say soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Everyone say athlete. Come on, say it like you mean it, athlete. The hardworking farmer must, first, must be first to partake of the crops. Everyone say farmer. And then something really weird happened here. Consider what I say. and May the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now that line is weird. Because give us a wave if you've been in our church six months or more. Give us a wave in our church if you've been here a year. Give us a wave if you've been here longer than a year, maybe even since I came. We've read a lot of weird parts of the Bible, haven't we? And every time we read a weird part of the Bible, nowhere in Scripture does it say, stop and actually have a think about this. But this part of Scripture, which seems to be pretty obvious, is one of the only parts of the Bible I think about where Jesus actually says, you need to stop and pay attention because there's more going on here than meets the eye. So I thought about this scripture and I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. We go through hardship. That's fine. Yeah, I could preach about that. That's fine, God. Oh, yeah, you know, a soldier, athlete, farmer. Okay, that's fine. But then I realized there's this gnawing thing in the back of my head where God is saying, no, you've missed something. Go back and have a read of it again. Have a think about it again. Ponder it again. There's something important happening here and you haven't got it. So I thought about it. I thought, well, it's describing us. It's describing you. It's describing me. It's describing Shiloh people. Now, how would you like to be described? If someone was to say, oh, what is Janelle like? Or if someone was to say, what is Amy like? Or Daniel like? Or Gary like? What would you like them to say about you? How would you like them to describe you if the other person has never met you and someone says, well, they are a little bit like. They are a little bit like this. They are a little bit like that. What are you like? So this scripture is saying, well, if you're a Christian, you would be like a soldier or you could be like an athlete or you could be like a farmer, which sounds very, very obvious. But I began to think about it even more. I began to think, what would I want Shiloh people to be described like in our community when I go down the street, when I get a kebab, when I do my shopping? If someone would describe people from Shiloh, what would I want them to say? I thought about it and I typed into my little keyboard as I was answering my own question, I would like them to say that we are people who attract miracles because our world is messed up and they might be able to intellectually argue with the gospel. They might be able to say, well, I think your book's a fairy tale for this reason or this reason. One thing they can't argue with is if they need a miracle and a miracle happens. And if we were known as miracle workers, that would be a cool thing. So I sat down and I thought about that and then it hit me. It hit me, it hit me, it hit me. Soldiers athletes and farmers all have one thing in common and probably only one thing in common. They all need miracles to survive. And I thought, huh, maybe, maybe that's why we are supposed to be looking at this at Miracle Month. So I sat down and I thought about it. And I thought about it, and I spent the last few months thinking about it. So you have two choices. You can either spend the next three months thinking about this scripture, which would be great, or you just give me the next 25 minutes of your attention, and I'll tell you what I thought about in the last few months. So I'm thinking about these three individuals, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. I'm thinking about what they're like, and I'm thinking about the kinds of miracles that they experienced, and epiphany started to hit me. Let's go with the first one. Soldier. Everyone say soldier. Imagine you're a soldier 
and it's the night before you are about to go to war. You're in your tent. Your gun is cleaned. Your outfit is ready. Your boots are polished. And you know at 5 a.m. in the morning, you begin to march into the battlefield to go to war. There's a whole lot of things running through your body. Your adrenaline is pumping. You're nervous. You're excited. You're scared. This is the moment you've trained for. But yet at the same time, you're like, am I actually going to come home alive? You think about your wife. You think about your kids. You think about your fellow soldiers. And you're sitting there and you're staring at the ceiling of your tent. You can't go to sleep. It's nearly midnight right now. You know you need sleep because you're marching at five o'clock in the morning. And so being a good soldier who loves Jesus, you decide to pray. The question is, what are you praying for? What's the number one thing a soldier prays for? Now, I've been blessed because I've been able to pray for soldiers before they've gone off to war. And so I thought about the number one thing that soldiers want prayer over. You might say, well... Safety, they want to come home alive. No, that's usually like the number two thing that they're praying for. Because have a think about this. What's the point of you living if all of your comrades die and you lose the war? The number one thing that every soldier that I've ever prayed for prays before they go into battle is that they would be victorious. If you're taking notes, number one, everyone say number one. Miracles of supernatural victory. Miracles of supernatural victory. Now I know what you're thinking, Phil. Miracles of supernatural victory. That sounds great. I'm a fond of that. But you know what? That's actually pretty obvious. Why on earth would you bother preaching about that? And I thought the same thing. I began to write about it. And then I actually began to think about miracles of supernatural victory. And I began to realize why God would ask us to stop and think about something here. Because there's something so profound. And if you miss it, you will miss something really, really good. Think about this. Where is a soldier's miracle located? Where are they going to get their victory? They're not going to get it in Toys R Us. They can't order it on a drive through at McDonald's. And they might have a very successful victory, but they can't go and order another one when they're sitting at a five-star resort somewhere on a tropical beach sipping a non-alcoholic pina colada. It ain't going to happen then either. So where is the soldier's victory? Where is their miracle located? It is located on the battlefield. Then I began to think about something even deeper. So this passage of scripture was written by a guy who was a Roman citizen. So I would assume that most of his understanding, because he wasn't a soldier, of war and of soldiers would come through Roman soldiers. And Roman soldiers had a little bit of a habit. The Roman army had a little bit of a habit where they didn't like just going to war to protect their borders. They liked taking territory. And they conquered most of the known world, which means to a Roman soldier, his victory wasn't just on the battlefield. It was on the battlefield in enemy territory. And that is when it hit me. See, so often as Christians, we just imagine the miraculous power of God like a little stray cat just running around looking for a home. And we put out a source of milk and <laughs> laps up the source of milk and then we see a miracle. But the reality is, often in life, the miraculous power of God is actually at work on the battlefield. We actually have to strive and fight to see the miraculous power of God at work in our life. Not every one of the miracles that we go after happens straight away. Sometimes it's in enemy territory. In fact, often Satan is sitting on the miracle that you're wanting to see in your life, the healing, the financial breakthrough, the thing in your family. And we've actually got to learn to go to war and fight for what God has set aside for us. But the reality is quite often what God has set aside for us is not on home turf. It's not in safekeeping. It's not in our comfort zone. It's actually out in territory that belongs to the enemy. And we have to go to war to get it. Well, that's been my experience. Give us a wave if that's been your experience. If your kids made a decision to walk away from God 10 years ago, as much as you want to click your fingers and have them run back, well, quite often you'll have to go to war to make that happen. If you've been sick a long time, yes, sometimes you know, sickness is delivered straight away like this, but there are other times when you have to go to war and you have to fast and pray to see that happen. When you're dealing with a legal issue or you're dealing with a financial issue, hey, I love the checks in the mail and you know, the radical turnarounds, but often I have to go to war to see that happen. Is there anybody else that's ever had to go to war for something that they want in life? And so often we think that um, God isn't in it because we have to fight. It's actually quite the opposite. So often what God wants us to do as Holy Ghost soldiers, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, is we need to go back into the enemy territory and we need to take back the miracle that the devil has stolen from us. 
And we might need to go to war for a while and it might be a long fight and it might be difficult, but how many know if the war is worth winning, then it's worth fighting for. And as Christian soldiers, we need to be willing to go out there and do that. It's worth seeing your kids get saved, go to war. It's worth seeing that financial breakthrough in your business, go to war. It's worth seeing our community transformed, go to war. We have to be willing to fight for what we want. And yes, Satan sometimes sits on your miracle. And yes, it looks like the enemy has the upper hand, but that's why we need miracles of supernatural victory. Miracles that are found on the battlefield, often not found in the home. Some wars take hours, some take days, some take weeks, some take months, and some take years. But if a war is worth winning then it's worth fighting for. Your kid's salvation is worth going to war for. And it might take a while, but it's worth going to war for. Buying that home, your dream since you're a kid, worth going to war for. May not happen this week, but it's worth going to war for. You need to fight for the things that God has put aside for you. If you believe that, say amen. I love seeing my family members get saved that are away from God. Give us a wave if that's anybody else's dream miracle. Whether it be siblings or cousins or whatever. I remember when um, my brother walked away from God. He walked away from God while he was still in primary school. He just saw a lot of stuff and didn't know how to process it. So other family members that walked away from God became atheists. That was almost easier to deal with than my brother's walking away from God because he believed in God. He just hated him. And so everybody prayed and fasted, believing for a miracle. After a few months, nothing happened. So people began to drop off. But you know, if a war is worth winning, it's worth fighting for, right? So I kept praying. I kept fasting. I kept believing. After a whole year, nothing happened. After two years, nothing happened. After five years, he got a lot worse. He got demonized. He absolutely hated God. He hated anything to do with God. Hated the Bible. Would curse God any chance he got. Everybody else said, well, it's just, you know, hey, you win some, you lose some. Ah, well, you know, free will. You know, he's, he's old enough now. He's got free will, Phil, you know. You just got to allow people. And I'm like, no, no, no. If a war's worth winning, it's worth fighting for. I'm not giving up, right? Yes, the enemy is sitting on that miracle right now. And yes, I'm grossly outnumbered in this war. But I believe in a God that grants miracles of supernatural victory. And I will go to war and I will fight until I receive a result. So I fasted and I prayed and we'd do miracle things and I'd stick 50 cards in there and I'd be responding to the altar call on his behalf and I'd be anointing his name with oil and I'd rock up when he wasn't home and pray in his bedroom. I'd do all that kind of weird stuff, right? Just anything I could in the hope that I could see a turnaround. And guess what happened? You'll be very excited to hear. After eight years, nothing happened. He got worse. But you know what? If a war's worth winning, then a war's worth fighting for, Right? Yes, the enemy sometimes sits on the miracle that God has got aside for you, but we have to be willing to go to war to get it. So I kept fasting. I kept praying. I kept believing. I had to keep my heart sweet and my heart pure every time he rejected God in my presence. I'm just like, no, God, fair enough, Lord. That one hurt. We're going to go at it again. You know, sometimes my heart would get a little bit wounded. Anyone else gone for something in God? It didn't happen. Your heart got a little wounded. Had to go back to Jesus' med tent. He had to, you know, stitch me all back up again. A little bit of recovery. Need a little bit of oxygen. And then I'm back out fighting again. I refuse to give in. I refuse to let the enemy have the upper hand. Because here's the thing about Satan. He is stubborn. And we just sometimes got to be more stubborn than Satan is, right? So I just thought, well, you know what, Satan, while I got breath, I'm going after you. I don't care if it takes eight years or 80 years. A miracle is going to happen. You watch. God grants miracles of supernatural victory. And after 10 years, nothing happened. But I'm like, you know what? If it takes 100 years, I started praying for long life for my brother. And long life for me to be long enough to see the victory. 11 years after I started praying, 11 years after I started fasting, 11 years after I started anointing things with oil, 11 years after I started believing in a God of supernatural victory, 11 years after I started declaring if a war's worth winning, then a war's worth fighting, 11 years we were chatting on the phone and he casually let slip that he'd become a Christian. Now, I can't take the credit. That credit belongs to Jesus. I didn't lead him in any prayer. He didn't respond to any altar call of mine. He'd never seen me preach. But the thing is, God listens to your prayers. 
God is waiting for your prayers. God is ready to respond to your prayers. And don't be discouraged when it's like, well, I've been praying for six months and I guess it hasn't happened. Ah, well, free will. Ah, well, that bill. No, 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 no. Go to war for the stuff that God's called you to go to war for, right? Go after the miracles that God's called you to go after. It doesn't matter that Satan is sitting on your miracle. Wrestle him off that throne, right? Say, no, no, no. You can't have that. That belongs to me. You can't have my brother's soul. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And I will fight while I have breath to see that take come. You know what I mean? Give us a wave if you know what I mean. We've got to go after that stuff, right? That's why prayer is so important. That's why fasting is so important. Now, this is real easy. We're only going to do a seven-day fast this year. That's easy. Just block out seven days, right? And if you can fast food, I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. You can do a full fast, but if you've never done that before, that might be a little bit hectic. Try Daniel fast. Just be vegan. That's all that it is. Be vegan for a week. If you're already vegan, that's cheating. Can't continue to be vegan. Do something else. If for health reasons you can't fast food, that's fine. Just pick something that's a sacrifice. If you hate classical music, you're not fasting classical music. You know what I mean? But if you love your TV and Netflix, maybe cancel that for a week and see how you go. And every minute that you would be spent doing whatever that is, you know, social media, TV, food, whatever, spend that time going to war for the things that God has called you to go for war. Because let me tell you, even though it looks silly in the natural, it has power in the heavenly realm. It has power in the spirit realm, right? Because it's not just God that listens, the enemy does too. And he will eventually back away if you keep fighting and don't give up. If you believe it, say amen. So don't believe the lie that says, well, the battle's over, Phil. Oh, you know. Well, free will. Ah, oh, well, yeah, but, 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 but I've been praying for a year. Just got to accept the consequences. You don't have to accept anything. The Shunammite woman's son died, got raised from the dead. Lazarus died, got raised from the dead. I bet you the devil thought Jesus had lost when he died. He, got, he came out of the grave. I don't know if you've heard that before, right? Even when you think it's over, you tell the devil, no, 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 it ain't over till it's over till it's over. If the war's worth fighting for, then a war's worth winning, and I will go to war over that. Which brings me to my next miracle. To the next person in our story. The athlete. Imagine you're an athlete. For some of us, it requires more imagination than others, right? You're an athlete. It's the 2032 Brisbane Olympics, and you've been selected to whatever race, whatever thing. It's the gold medal heat, and it's the night before, and you're in the Olympic Village staring at the ceiling. Adrenaline pumping through your body. Nervous as anything. Whole world is going to be watching you the next day in your race. Just like the Olympics, which was around when that part of the Bible was written. But now it's 2032. What are you praying for? What are you believing for? Are you praying that you look good on camera and your hair is perfect? Well, maybe, but that probably wouldn't be your number one prayer, right? Are you praying for sponsorship deals? Oh, I hope people see me and just think that I'm just be a great brand ambassador and they write me big checks. Yeah, maybe, but that probably wouldn't be your number one prayer, I would think. I wouldn't be my number one prayer. If I was lying in the Olympic Village, my number one prayer would be for success. I would want to win. Who would want to win if that was you? You're going for gold, right? No one's running for last place here. Number two, everyone say number two. Miracles of supernatural success. Miracles of supernatural success. Now, that's another one of those ones that looks very obvious. We just be like, oh, well, yeah, okay, I understand that. It's fine. It's no big deal. No big deal. Thank you very much. Thank you. I can go home now. It, it is very obvious, really. Miracles of supernatural success. You want them and I want them. We all want them. That's not very obvious. But then I started to think about it a little bit more. I remember that annoying verse 7 where it says that we should stop and think about this. Because obviously there's something that's not so obvious that we are in fact missing in this particular passage of Scripture. So I began to think, what is it that I'm missing about the athlete? Why of all the things? God could have picked a dressmaker. God could have picked a circus freak. God could have picked all kinds of things, but he didn't pick any of that stuff. He picked an athlete. Why an athlete? And I began to think about it. And I realized, "Uh uh-huh. If you were selected for the Olympics and you'd won all the qualifying heats, and you were there the night before the big race, do you realise that you are already successful? I mean, to even get selected for the Olympic squad, what they're saying is you're the best, or one of the best, if you've picked two or three athletes, 
at this particular sport in the whole country. In fact, what they're actually saying is you're not even just the best in the country. You're one of the best at this particular thing, whether it be street luge or athletics or swimming. You're one of the best in the entire world at this thing, which means you're already successful. But here's the question. How did you learn to get to this position? It's not really like you just met the right guy and you know, just hung out for a bit and he's like, I think we, like, this has been fun. You should represent our country. No, 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 no. You can only get selected to run the marathon race. You only get selected to be in the, uh, you know, water polo championship. You only get selected for that thing because not only have you proven yourself to be one of the best, but you've proven it over a significant period of time. You've already won records. You've already won races. You've already got won other medals and smaller things. This is really just a validation of the fact that, see, you are already successful, which means all the athletes that I have ever met have one thing in common. They have a lifetime of success behind them before they even get to the big race. I know you're saying, well, what is that? Why should I care about that? They have been trained for just this moment. Which means maybe those little annoyances, those little things that keep popping up in your life again and again and again might actually be God's training ground for a bigger miracle down the line. Like, for example, maybe you're wanting one day to buy a house and you need an $80,000 deposit. You don't have enough faith for an $80,000 deposit. You have never even imagined God could do a miracle like that in your life. So God says, okie dokie, let's not worry about the $80,000 right now. Can you believe for $800? And then God allows the head gasket on your car to blow up or some other stupid bill out of nowhere that's $800. Not that God caused it, chill out, but he allows it. He doesn't interfere in that moment. And then you get the bill and you stick it on your fridge and you're stressed. And this is a stretching experience. Man, I don't know about that. Now, you have two choices. You can just ignore it and take the hit. Or you could use this as an opportunity to work on your miracle muscle. Put a little card in. Believe in faith. Maybe even fast. You say, well, that's a bit silly. It's only $800. But if you don't know how to pay that bill, anyone that's been stressed about an $800 bill knows when you don't have the money, $800 is a lot of money. So you go on this journey. All of a sudden, you see God come through at the 11th hour and it just stirs your faith. Now you can believe for $800, like a kid winning a year 10 athletics competition, building for his Olympic dream. Next thing comes along, it's a $5,000 bill. Well, this is scary. I didn't actually realise the engine on my car would blow up. This stupid car, I should, you should probably buy another car. Now, why does this happen? So you've got two choices. You can weep at the altar cry out to God how unfair God is what a mongrel God is he doesn't intervene the stupid car that you've given me blah 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 or you could realize huh God's training me now you never thought you could believe for thousands you're struggling with 800 and you go on a journey it's the next miracle year you stake another miracle card you fast again you anoint again and bang you see God come through for five thousand dollars before long the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says hey time to believe for that house and now you have enough faith to believe for 80,000 you get the 80,000 you buy your first home but see the miracle wasn't in the 80,000 it was in the $800 that you were learning and being trained and developed in your life maybe you're always sick maybe you're always struggling financially maybe there are always issues in your family maybe you're always stressed maybe you're always anxious Stop and pay attention because you can either ignore those things or realize that God is actually training you for something bigger and better in your life. And we often don't recognize it, but funny enough, the devil does. I believe that the enemy always quarrels over the miracle wells that God has put aside in your life. So rather than get disillusioned and discouraged every time something seems to keep happening in the air, stop and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you coaching me in? What are you developing me in? Because like a star athlete, you don't just run out on the Olympics as an 11-year-old. You have to work at it, 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 and develop a pattern and a history of winning so that when you are in the big race, it is just doing 
what you're already going to do. Because the night before you run, it's too late to change your running technique. The night before you run, it's too late to shift your diet. The night before you run, it's too late to do anything. You are set up for that moment and everything you've experienced up to that point now comes into play. So maybe you've seen a whole lot of smaller health issues and then you get a big thing crop up where you've got three days to live. Well, I'm sorry, if you've got three days to live, you can't fast for nine months and expect to break through. You've got three days to turn that thing around. But if you have seen the Holy Ghost come through again and again and again and again and again, you will be perfectly set up for a victory in that moment. Well, the bank's going to foreclose on my house if I don't pay it in the next two weeks. Let me tell you, you, if you've only got two weeks, you've only got two weeks. You don't have two months, you don't have two years, you don't have 20 years for a breakthrough. So you have to have learnt in the small things how to achieve victory so that when the big moment comes, you can step in and see God at work. So maybe, just maybe, in all those little issues right now, God is actually moving and you haven't even realised it. There's a guy in the Bible, his name's David. He fights a giant called Goliath. You might have heard the story, right? He's an interesting kind of fellow because once he goes out onto the battlefield to fight Goliath, he can't hit the pause button. It's not like he's out there and he's taunting Goliath and then he realises when Goliath actually steps out how big Goliath is, where he can say, holy moly, I didn't realise you were that tall and you got a whole lot of muscle. I'm really not feeling it today. So if we could just like hit pause, you give me six months to gym it out, maybe do a little bit more martial arts, then I'll come back and I'll win this fight. Once you're in the battle, you're on. Once you're running that race, you can't say, sorry, 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 sorry. I didn't start the way I normally started. The crowd threw me off. We just need to run this race again. When you're in the moment as an athlete, you are in the moment. And when you are up against it and you need a miracle at the 11th hour, you don't always have the time. And so the nation of Israel knew that that was the position that David was going to be in if he was going to fight Goliath. So they didn't want to just let him go out there. Well, I didn't just want to let him go and represent the country because what happens if he loses and then they lose, right? And so they decide to set up a little bit of an interview, see if this guy's got what it takes. King Saul, head of the nation, decides to interview him himself, basically asks him, have you got the chops? Have you got what it takes? Why on earth should we be selecting you for our squad? And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 34 to 37, David replies. And this is what David says. He's in the throne room. He's staring at the king. Can you take on Goliath? David said, I've been a shepherd, tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down and rescue the lamb. And if it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear made no difference. I killed it. And then I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting the troops of God alive. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. Big pause in the throne room. And Saul says, go and God help you. I thought about that because <laughs> it doesn't say when, it says whenever. Which means there was like lots of lion attacks. And lots of bear attacks. Now, I don't know about you. If I've picked a career path and I repetitively get attacked by lions and bears, I'm thinking to myself, time to switch careers, right? Time to do a TAFE course, find something else to do with my life. Maybe I'll be better at graphic design. Maybe God's calling me to work for a bank, you know, somewhere where there's no lions and no bears. And I'm sure there were some of David's mates that thought, I am going to switch from being in the flock. I'm going to go into butchering. My brother can do the flock. I'll do the butchering at the end of the day. But David, rather than running from the thing that he was in, understood that God was teaching him something, embraced the lesson, embraced the hand of God, won victory after victory after victory. You listen to his speech. Can you hear the confidence in his voice? He is supremely confident that a God who has given him success after success after success after success will do it again. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. So if the enemy is constantly attacking your finances, why don't you meet the enemy face to face and say, fine, you want to keep attacking me in that area? I will grow and I will learn to step into miracles of supernatural success. So when my big miracle moment arrives, you just watch me lickety split, bang, I'm going to go and do something. That's what an athlete does. Maybe the enemy is quarreling over the wells because he knows you're about to have some big miracles in your health, in your finance, in your family, with the law, whatever. Go after miracles. See, to an athlete, 
Winning is normal. We watch athletes. We do their interviews. They can be a bit arrogant, right? Anyone ever seen an arrogant athlete? Nobody. Oh, wow. Cool. Where are all these Christian athletes hiding? I need to start watching some of those, right? Do you know why they're arrogant? Because they win a lot. They're confident. They're used to seeing victory. David was borderline arrogant there. He was on the right side of it, but he was pretty up close. Why? He's used to seeing God move. He's used to seeing victory. He's used to seeing success. We have to learn as Pentecostal believers to see miracles as normal and consistently see them in our everyday life. It's not enough you had a miracle in 2011. Phil, let me tell you this great story about 2008. Oh, God did something wonderful in 1983. Let me tell you about what happened in 1951. I love all of that stuff. I'm not saying historical stuff doesn't matter. I'm a big believer in honoring the past. But here's the thing. If we are going to be like athletes, we have to get used to miracles of supernatural success on a consistent basis. Let me ask you, when was the last time you saw a miracle in your life? If you have to pause and think, it's been too long. It's time to go after the miracles of God. Make it a consistent, 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 consistent thing. That small miracle, that bill paid, that healing take place, that family member returning your call, that small miracle. Go after the small miracle. Don't miss what God is doing in the small miracle. Speaking of small, the last person on our list definitely understands the power of of small things. That is a farmer. Now you've imagined yourself as a soldier. You've imagined yourself as an athlete. So imagine yourself as a farmer. You've gone and bought, I don't know, 5,000 acres of land. And you're sitting in your farmhouse. You're a veggie farmer. You've seen the price of lettuce and you thought, I need to start growing lettuce. This could be good. It's a good financial move. And so you've got all your lettuce seeds ready to go. It's the night before you go and plant all your lettuce seeds for your big, big, big financial explosion. What are you praying over? What are you believing for? What's the thing that you're wanting to see happen? Well, let's be real. Even if you're single, it's probably not that farmer wants a wife, although that might be prayer number two. Is it going to be that it's not too hot when you're on the tractor? Maybe, if, particularly if you're you know, out in the NT somewhere, but probably not. Probably not number one prayer, I would think, right? Is it that you look absolutely fantastic in that flannel for that selfie? Most farmers I know don't take a lot of selfies, so you, know, you might be the rare exception of the rule, but I still think that probably wouldn't be the number one prayer in, in your moment. As you stare at the ceiling, knowing that you have to be up at 3.45 in the morning because farmers get up at ungodly hours, and you are going to be in that tractor by 4 a.m., what are you praying for? I would think that you're praying for a harvest. Not much point planting a seed if it all dies, right? Seed's very expensive. Some farmers I know will take out a million-dollar loan to buy seed. Million dollars. That's just one year's worth of seed. So you're believing for a harvest, right? You're believing for a lettuce harvest. If you're taking notes, number three, everyone say number three. Miracles of a supernatural harvest. Miracles of a supernatural harvest. And this is another one of those things that's really, 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 really simple, but actually kind of deep and complex if you think about it. Miracles of a supernatural harvest. So you can't sleep. It's 11.45 at night. You know, you've got to be up in like four hours to go out and plant this seed. What would you lay hands on? Well, you can't lay hands on the harvest it isn't there yet. Well, I'll lay hands on the weather. How on earth would you do that? You start running around, poking fingers in the sky and stuff, you'll get a reputation in that country town, right? So you can't be laying hands on the weather. You'd pray for it, definitely, and you'd be praying for the harvest, definitely. But that may not be the first thing that you lay hands on. Well, I'm going to lay hands on the tree in the, in the paddock. I, I doubt that. Again, you start running around hugging trees, you're going to get a rep in the community, which you don't want in a country town, right? So you're not laying hands on trees, you're not laying hands on the sky, you're not laying hands on a harvest because it doesn't exist. What do you have in your possession that you would lay hands on? That you would take that little bottle of anointing oil that you nicked from Shiloh and pour it out over and put your hand on? The seed. You've just taken a million dollar loan, right? Which says something very interesting. The miracle of a supernatural harvest is actually locked 
in the seed. That's where the miracle it is. It isn't in the sky. It isn't in the dirt. It isn't in the trees. The harvest that you're waiting for is locked in the seed. The seed is pregnant with the miracle. And if you don't understand that principle, you're never going to see a harvest. If you don't realize the seed is the thing that you've got to protect, you're never going to see a harvest. If you don't realize the seed's the thing you've got to pray over, you're never going to see a harvest because the miracle is in the seed, which tells me that sometimes, yes, God wants us to do the big rah-rah battle victory miracle. That's true. That's a thing. I preached about that. Yes, there are other times when it's uh, small annoyances that just keep happening on repeat and God wants us to defeat those things and see his miracle power at work so we can get in the culture of that. But there are other times where there's a small little thing, it's a seed, and we are supposed to recognize that that's actually the harvest that we're waiting for. And if we do not recognize that, if we don't learn to lay hands on that, if we don't learn to anoint that with oil and pray over that, then we will never see a harvest. Give us a wave if you're at Leadership Summit. Friday night, Jared Keane talked about how he got led to the Lord. His family came to Jesus. And it all started with a woman who crossed the road with a casserole and was witnessing by giving them a casserole. Which means the miracle of that harvest wasn't in the conversation about Jesus. It was in the casserole. If she didn't recognize the power of that casserole, she never would have seen the harvest It's actually her crossing the road with the casserole. She was crossing the road with the seed. She was planting the seed in the ground. It wasn't a casserole. It was a seed of a supernatural harvest. Maybe your seed is the fact that you sit next to that person at work all the time. Maybe your seed is a financial thing. You're going to sow a little bit into a business fund. Maybe your seed is in the fact that of all the family members that hate you, there's one that likes you and that's the one you don't like, but that's your into the rest of the family. Oh, come on. You really like every single person in your whole family? They all don't drive you up the wall? Mm, The Lord is watching. Um. (laughs) But maybe that annoying one, the only one that does like you, the one that's a little bit too odd, maybe that's the seed. We miss the seed because the seed is so small and so insignificant and it actually doesn't look like the harvest. Go down to Bunnings, buy a packet of lettuce seeds. It doesn't look like a lettuce. It looks like a seed. The casserole doesn't look like a salvation. It looks like a casserole. You sitting next to that person at work doesn't look like a, a miracle testimony. It just looks like where your little you know, spinny chairs are. But God will do a miracle in the seed. Once a year, in our miracle month, we take up an offering. Because we don't want to be a church that just says, God bless you, we love you, I need a miracle. Yeah, I hope it happens one day through some, you know, whatever. We want to be practical people that can respond and say, yeah, there is a miracle and it's going to come through us. Am I right? So every year we do a bunch of projects, both here and overseas, to bring transformation in people's lives. We did a whole bunch last year, and I'm not going to read them all because my long sermon will be even longer. But let me tell you two harvests that have come. One of them you probably know about. One of them you might know about, you may not know about. So I was going back and re-watching and listening to what I preached last year. Uh, it, was, it was annoyingly prophetic. I didn't even realize it at the time. So one of the things I said is, I feel like God's saying, we should just put aside some money for our, like, our community care department. And, and I... I I literally said, and if like a natural disaster were to happen, you know, we would actually be ready to respond straight away and everyone else would be scrambling, but we would be ready. So let's take some money and let's put it aside and see what God does. So we put aside a couple grand, put it in a bank account and it just sat there. Then at the end of February, start of March, it rained a lot for everybody who wasn't here. Anyone remember it raining a lot? Half of us. I'm glad everybody else from, you know, Tasmania could join us. So it rained a lot. There was a whole lot of people that were cut off from their homes and they didn't have food and they needed food right there, right now. So we got a whole team of professional shoppers together, got in our little trolleys, raided Aldi and Woolies and Coles and scared all the other shoppers as we were just putting stuff after stuff after stuff. And then we packed in all of the bags at the end of the, uh, the, end of the room there. We put them all in and we just started giving them out to people. And the harvest from that has been phenomenal. 
not just people responding to Jesus, but people's entire opinion about God and church changing. The influence that we have being reaffirmed in the community, it happened. But you know, the miracle wasn't just that. It was all of those months ago here in August when someone said, here's five bucks worth of seed, stick it in a bank account, let's see what God does. That was the miracle. You were the farmer anointing God's seed. <clears throat> One more. One more. Um, I felt like the Lord said, let's build a church in Nepal, like physically build one, not plant one, not Shiloh, Nepal, but just find a church that's struggling, that needs a building, and let's just build a building. It's a bit of an odd thing for me to say, to be honest. Anyone that's known me really well was like, why did you do that? Because church buildings, like building a building, has never really been my thing overseas. I'm just like, all right, whatever. There's plenty of other churches that can do that. But I really felt like the Lord said, just come, you should just do this thing. So I said, all right, guys, we're going to raise money. We're going to build a building in Nepal for a church that needs it. Little did we know, on the other side of the world, in a little country called Nepal, in a little village, um, a few hours out in the kind of the jungles of Nepal, there was a pastor who would meet with his people under a tree because he didn't have a building. Now, if you've ever been to Nepal, it gets really, really hot in summer. And it gets really, really cold, a.k.a. snow in winter. It's not the best place to not have a building in the country of Nepal. But he started doing all these great things and God started growing the church. And he had quite a, quite a solid congregation meeting under this tree. And he would tell them in the middle of winter in the snow, come on, Jesus died for you, you can handle the snow. In the middle of summer when it was like 8,000 degrees and, you know, just, you know, come on, it doesn't matter about sweat, we'll all stink together, that's fine, come on, let's... So he started to say to his people, I think it's time we believe that God will give us a miracle of a building, not knowing what was happening in Shiloh across the other side of the world. It's almost like we serve the same God, huh? So God says to me, Phil, tell Shiloh about building a building. I'm like, oh, buildings aren't really my thing, Lord. He's like, well, they are my thing. You should build a building. I'm like, okay, fine. Write that down. Talk to the board, hoping, you know, they'll say, nah, it's a dumb idea. They're like, okay, it's a great idea. Let's build a building. All right, fine. Let's go to congregation. We should build a building. A few people are like, that's a, that's a good idea. Put some money aside. So they see their first miracle. A non-Christian guy in their village comes up to them and says, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I actually just, I weirdly think, our, our town needs like a church so you're not standing under a tree because that's a bit weird. How much money have you got? He's like, we've got no money. You've got to understand, I've been in offering. Offerings are funny in foreign countries, right? They bring, there's like chickens coming up the front of the aisle and it's amazing, right? You're reading a scripture about giving and there's this chicken chasing another chicken around. Someone brings in a goat, there's some leaves, there's all kinds of stuff, right? So I've <laughs> got no money. You can have a chicken if you want it, but I've got no money. He says, fine, you can just have my land. And he gives them all this land. So they say to the church, see, God's already done the first miracle. Now we just need a building. Let's be praying for a building. Let's be praying for a building. Let's be praying for a building. So we collect a few thousand dollars. And um, I called uh, Pastor Ashok, who some of you have seen on video last year, did a little bit of introduction. And he's a Nepalese pastor. He's a phenomenal man of God. I can't wait to bring him into Australia one day so you can meet him. Um, and I said to Pastor Ashok, it's a bit weird, Ashok, because we've been friends a long time and we've never ever talked about building a building. But do you know anybody that needs a building? Mm, yes, there's this guy from this village. I spoke to him the other week. He's praying for a miracle of a building. I said, really? He goes, yeah, he's praying for a miracle of a building. Um, but he might have to leave the church. I said, what's going on? Is there a moral issue? No, 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 no. He's a great man of God. But he's, he's got no money. He can't feed his family. His family's starving. It's the middle of COVID. I said, well, the other thing that we were raising money for is like to help out pastors who were in a situation just like that. What if we, ha he's going to need some land. Does he have enough land? Oh, he's got heaps of land. I said, what if we put a coffee plantation and some goats and chickens and stuff and then we, we build a building? And so we've got some photos on the screen. They're just about finished. There's been some delays with COVID. But over in the nation in Nepal, there's a little building and you did that. You did that. Not me. You did that. That's all been built by hand. It's been this phenomenal harvest in the community. Because in a small place like that, in a community like that, everybody's a bit of a sticky beak, right? You've not ever been in a small country town. Everybody knows everyone, and everybody wants to know everybody's business, right? 
So the whole community's rallied together. Non-Christians, Buddhists and Hindus are coming and sitting down and saying, what are you doing? And they're having an opportunity to witness to the entire village and share the gospel with every single person because they're like, what are you doing? And then they're telling them that there is a church on the other side of the country and they're explaining, you know, in our, in our faith, we're not on our own. We're not isolated. We're part of a bigger family and our family in Australia loves us and they wanted us to have this building because they want you to know that Jesus loves you. And then they go and share the gospel. That's Miracle Seed. We don't take a cut, by the way. There's no like performance fee or anything like that. You give the money off to Nepal. So we're going to do some more projects this year. Who wants to hear what we're going to do? All right. There's a bit of a list. I've got to go through them. Hang with me. Buckle up. Um, I won't go in nauseating detail for every single one because we'll be here for three hours and half of you will be asleep anyway and you won't hear it. So if you want to know more detail about anything, just come and grab me afterwards. I'd love to answer your questions. So in three categories, the stuff that I think we need to get done in our house the stuff that think, I think we need to get down in our neighbour's house, like our community, and sort of broader, and then mission stuff, stuff at the heads of the earth, houses at the ends of the earth. First one, we've been upgrading our admin facilities. There's a list that will come on the screen. Uh, we've been upgrading our admin facilities and, um, you know, in the kids' area, which is where we do, we do lots of outreach activities, but particularly for, for children, for rangers and kids' church and all that kind of stuff. So we need to work on those toilets. Anyone that doesn't believe me should go to the toilet over there and you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. Um, the kitchens, literally the cupboards are falling apart. There's gaps on the walls and stuff. It's not a great witness. We need to sort that out. We need to fix the hallways. That's the first thing. Um, we need to continue to spruce up the place, including I think we need some new media equipment for live streaming, that kind of stuff. There's some weird electrical issues in this place because, you know, just maintenance, so nothing exciting. But we do need to do that stuff because that's the stuff that blows up equipment. And who remembers that Christmas Day service where we had no words and no anything? That was, that was fun. Um, next one I'm pretty excited about, though, is carols this year. This is the one that scares me and excites me the most. It scares me because we are going to need a miracle to pull that off. But if you don't ask for a miracle, then you don't see a miracle. And then you've got no testimonies to share. And then you just got to live off other people's testimonies rather than your testimonies. So I want to be able to do carols. Carols is this very unusual blessing that God's given this church. It has enormous cut through in the community, even when we were delivering the bags of food. Pastor, you didn't bring the carols back this year? You know, I'm giving you the censored version. There was like F words in this, you know, like, yeah. We, I, I said, I'll tell you what, if I do it, would you come? We'll just go with yes. Um, I won't repeat what they said, but they were very excited to come back to our carols. Other people that were with me were offended by it. I thought it was fantastic. You know why? These are people that are very much not with God, wanting to come and sing songs about Jesus and hear the gospel presented at Christmas time. So it's going to cost a lot of money to do this. I'm not lying. When you go out to your car, have a look at the thing. It's not been in the best shape. Now, I've learned a few things about Queensland storms. We do them proper up here, right? And so we need to spend some money. We're going to need things, for example, like just on the back, normally there's fabric that covers it for those who've been around the previous carols. Have you looked at the price of fabric lately? It's not cheap. You know, we're talking 20, 30 bucks for a square metre for the kind of fabric that we'd need. There's a lot of metres out there. <laughs> it's big. Um, we need to do a whole bunch of electrical stuff. We're going to need sound and video guys to be able to roll out because we don't have specialised outdoor equipment. That stuff's hundreds of thousands. We'll have to hire somebody in. That will still cost a lot of money. I'd love to be able to sell coffees and teas and do all that sort of stuff so we get a portable coffee cart there that we can also use the other 51 weeks of the year here. Um, and then we want to be able to sell drinks and stuff. That'll help offset some of the costs. But I'm not going to lie to you. It will be tens of thousands of dollars to pull this off. But thousands of people come to hear the gospel. And that's worth it to me. So let's take a leap of faith. Um, young adults, I thought it'd be really cool if we just saw a bunch of people who were young adults get saved, who are completely away from God. Give us a wave if you think that's cool. So I want to put aside a little bit of seed fund and give it to Pastor Darren and Holly and go, go and get some people saved. Go and get, go into universities, go into the highways and byways so that first generation Christians can hear the heart of God, right? Our neighbor's house. Next one. Well, we put, about, we put a couple of grand aside for a little strong box, you know. In a time of war, we could unlock it and say, here we go, we can help people in need. Well, we spent it all. 
And I'm not saying, I'm definitely not saying natural disaster. I'm not saying anything like that again. But maybe there's an issue with domestic violence in our community. Maybe there's something else. And I think that we, the church needs to be quick to respond. Our response shouldn't be, great idea. Let's pray about it. Let's think about it. Give me six weeks. I'll talk to the church about it. I just want to be able to say, that's a great need. We are going to respond straight away. So I want to be able to set that back up and spend it sometime in the next 12 months. Um, Teen Challenge is something that we sowed into last year. They've got a fantastic repair centre a recovery center, sorry, over in um, Toowoomba, which is awesome, gets people out of tough environments. But, you know, we got all kinds of people that come through Shiloh Cares, right? Some of them are drug and alcohol affected. And I thought it would be really cool if we were able to say, not just here's a bag of food, but maybe for one or two people that were really wanting help and wanting to change, if we could actually pay to get them drug and alcohol rehabilitated to do Bible college, come back and have their life changed. That could be cool. We did this thing last year, so I was like, that's harvest, I'll tell you. We translated scripture, this is like an indigenous Bible translation, um, because I believe the word of God is powerful. I think if I can just get the word of God into people, it'll change their life. But if people don't understand it, what's the point? <laughs> you know, I can read you the word of God in Latin. It's probably not going to have a significant impact on your life. It's much easier if I read it in English. And so we're part of a Bible translation project. We flew indigenous elders and people like that. We threw uh, Pastor Wes in. He preached at our NADOC service and other guys in. It was awesome. But we didn't translate the whole Bible. So there's some more of the Bible to translate. So I think we should do another project, right? And on top of that, I really want to be able to take a team, probably in November, to Cape York and the Torres Strait Islands to do some outreaches and get some people saved up there. When I went up there, I went on a bit of a scouting mission. So you'll see me do this with missions. I'll go on my own or with one other pastor or someone like that. I won't take a big team because I'm kind of scouting out the land, right? Like, like, uh, like the spies went out to the land. They had a bit of a look-see. They came back and said, this is what we need to do. So I come back and I'm like, man, there's an opportunity for Charlotte to do something really, really, really significant and change a region. And I think that that's really cool. So I want to be able to put some money aside for that. Youth Alive. They are doing their first stadium-style soul-winning rally for a long time. And you know what, guys? That's part of our heritage. We were the church that did all the creative stuff for Youth Alive back in the day. Youth Alive, and I I mean this affectionately, belongs to us. I care about what happens to it because this church should care about what happens to it because it's in the carpet, it's in the seats. You know, it's Pastor Al's legacy. He was the guy that spearheaded all the creative stuff. So I want to raise some money so that we can stick kids on a bus and send them in and get them saved. Here's a crazy thought. Non-Christians don't want to pay money to sit on a bus and hear the gospel. We've got to at least wave their ticket. Hello? It makes sense, right? So we've got to have to hire buses and that stuff. We have to, I want to be able to give money so they can go into schools and do schools programs. I want to do all that stuff so that they can get people to that event so that they can see the gospel preached and young people can just run down the front and give their heart to Jesus. I want Shiloh to be a part of that. Last category, but definitely not least, houses at the ends of the earth. Well, I felt like the Lord say, hey, that, that Shiloh Care Strong Box was a pretty good idea. I said, yes, Lord, it is a good idea. He said, you should do a missions one. I said, okay, God, that makes sense. Because... Tragedies happen all over the world. Look at what's happening with Ukraine right now. It's very sad. What typically, though, happens in the life of church is we see something during the week, and I get up here on a Sunday and say, hey, I think we should do something. I'm not really sure what. Give me a few days, and I'll look into it. And then I'll look into it for a few days, and then I come back next week. Now, by this point, the tragedy's already been happening for two weeks. And I'm like, hey, guys, I think we should raise money for this. And then we spend two or three weeks raising money, and then we put the money aside. And then usually six or seven weeks after the tragedy, that's assuming we're on it straight away, then we actually are providing breakthrough. I think we should just put the money aside. And then when something happens, I can stand up and say, hey, that thing's happening in the Ukraine. I just want you to know we've just sent some money overseas. If you want to join us, that's fine. But the first lot's already gone. Don't you think that would be good? Cool. Um, Georgia, not in America. Georgia over bordering on Russian territory. One of the most dangerous places in the world. Can't wait to visit it. Um, So homegrown heroes are actually there. Now, a lot of you won't remember them because they moved to Georgia back when mullets were in fashion, which are coming back. I'm seeing a lot of mullets. I'm disturbed by it. Anyway, um, so... um, Blair and Althea were a couple that were part of our church and went with their young family... And they have gone and ministered in that whole region. So, you know, Kazakhstan and places like that, places where it's normal to see tanks drive down the street. And their kids, Shiloh kids, 
are now stepping up and wanting to be missionaries and do stuff. And they want to go to some of the even more dangerous places. I'm loosely, I'm not giving too much detail on stage because this could be recorded and their life could be in danger. We don't want that. Um, But I want to be able to raise some money to give them some seed funding to be like, go out and take the gospel into places where if you get caught, you get beheaded. We'll just leave it at that. Pat and Gina, who knows Pat and Gina, another group that came from our church. They're out in Vietnam and uh, they, have, they have also got a really cool thing. We raised some money for it last year and I, like, I can show photos and stuff afterwards. I just don't want to preach too long. But Pat and Gina, um, they've got this program where they basically buy a motorbike that is disheveled and doesn't run well and then they repair it and then they give the motorbike to a church plant who's going to go into... Mm, I'm going to be non-specific because I won't want to get these guys' life in danger. Parts of Vietnam where it's dangerous to share the gospel and they go out and they plant churches. And so we have been a part of planting churches in the last 12 months in some places that I can't talk about. But let me just say, churches are being planted and Shiloh's the thing that did it. So what we did last year is when Pat and Gina called me, I said, yeah, but you can't just plant a church with a motorbike. You're going to need like a guitar or something. Probably going to need to do a first service, maybe some food or something. I said, we'll raise it. We'll raise, what's a bike cost? They're like 350 bucks to repair it and send it on its way. I'm like, we'll raise 500 bucks because you'll be able to buy a guitar and some food in Vietnam with that kind of money. It's good, good value for money over there. It's great shopping. Um, so we, we raised like three grand for them last year. They bought like six motorbikes all zipping out all over the country. And I, I was chatting to Pat and Gina um, a few weeks ago and I said, um, what do you need? And they said, more motorbikes. So I said, all right, I'll tell the, I'll tell the congregation about it. Eastern Europe, I won't waffle on too long about this because I spoke about it last week at Leadership Summit, but we've got an opportunity to do something really, really, really significant in Eastern Europe. Um, I'm going to be there in September. I'm in five countries in two weeks, so I'm not away too long. And I'm meeting with pretty much all the key pastors from Serbia, Croatia, Hungary, um, Czechoslovakia and Germany to talk about um, the needs in that part of the world. And basically the, 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 the short version is this. All those churches have been smashed by COVID. And they're looking at Shiloh and they're like, your church is growing in COVID? People are getting saved? Your team is excited? We need a touch of what Shiloh's got over in Eastern Europe, which is pretty significant. So I want to raise a little bit of money to put uh, towards that. PNG, Papua New Guinea. Um, Normally, I wait to the end of Miracle Month to go out and do something. But... We're going to do something crazy in the middle of Miracle Month. Now, I won't be missing a Sunday. I'll be gone from a Monday to a Saturday, not this week coming, but the week after. But our good mate, Pete McCutcheon, give us away, Pete. <laughs> Resident evangelist. He and I have been invited to go into the prisons and do a crusade in the prisons. Now, if I was a sensible guy, I would not have said yes. Because if you've looked at the news... Papua New Guinea is going through some stuff right now. Grenades and guns and all looting and rioting in the streets. I've always loved that scripture that says when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. And uh, my prayer when I read scriptures like that is I want to be that standard. I want God to be able to use Shiloh Church. So while everybody else is running for the hills, that's when people need the gospel the most. That's when they're the most receptive So you're going to have to pray for my safety. Apparently, I'm going to be in an armored car and all that kind of stuff, zipping from place to place. But I am believing for God to pour out the Holy Ghost all over Port Moresby and for it to spread throughout that beautiful nation. So it'd be cool to send some money over there. Last but not least, Zambia. Any Zambians in the house or anyone that loves the beautiful nation of Zambia? So we already started this one, but we're just going to continue There is an incredible uh, missions project by this incredible young lady and that incredible lady, young lady, both of them young ladies. And um, basically what they're doing, if you weren't here on Vision Sunday, is they have gone out to kind of the bush in, uh, in Zambia where the government projects don't really reach that far out. But there are still people that live out there. There are kids that need schooling. There are people that need medical treatment. There are people that need the gospel. And they're kind of just abandoned. And so these incredible women oversee a project. There's a little building there where they run a classroom. And we, we bought a maize grinder, which is really cool. And so that's, that's, that's for their food, but also as an income generator. But I thought it'd be cool if we sent some money to fit out the classroom. Some school booklets, some textures and some pencils. I don't know. Maybe we'll sneak over a rugby ball. I don't know. But I think it would be really cool if we were able to send some money over and help some children over in the beautiful nation of Zambia. 
That's it. I'm not going to give a financial goal list like people normally would because I understand with the pandemic and everything, everyone's finances is affected differently. I don't want anyone to feel like they're letting the team down. But here's what I say. We've all got some seed. You might have five bucks. You might have $5,000. But imagine what would happen if we all put a little bit of seed in. Then next year, as I'm sharing all of these breakthroughs, then we're all a part of the harvest. Who thinks that that's cool? It's what this church has a rich history in doing. So everybody's finances are structured differently. You might say, yep, ready to go, ready to give. You can grab an envelope. You can just tick Miracle Month or you can do a financial transfer, just do Miracle Month. All of that gets put aside. We don't take cuts or anything like that. All goes to those projects. But if your finances are structured differently, might go once a quarter or whatever else, we've got these little things here. They're on your seats. They're just pledge cards. This is not about us hassling you. It's just about us going, okay, we know that I can go and tell Pat and Gina we're buying three motorbikes or five motorbikes or whatever, but some of that money is going to come later in the year. So you can fill that out. I don't want you to feel any pressure to give. I'm just saying, I think it's cool that we get to answer people's prayers all over the world, don't you? All right, I'm going to get the band up. I don't know what people would use to describe you. Someone was to say, what are you like? What, what would your friends say? Would they say, you're a little bit crazy? My friends would probably say that about me. Would they say you're funny or charming or whatever? I hope more than all the craziness, I don't mind being called crazy, I'm used to that now, more than all the funny stories or whatever, I hope the thing that people say about us is that we attract miracles like a magnet. I want to be a miracle working church. I want to be a church that's not known for, for, for just preaching the gospel, but seeing the gospel come to life. I want to be a church that's known of seeing cancer healed. So when someone gets it and they're in the world and they're like, yeah, I don't know if you guys are legit or not, but I've got no other option. They'll come here and they'll get their, get their miracle. I, I want to be a church that sees marriages restored when it looks like they're on the rocks. I want to be a church that sees financial miracles when people are up against it. I want to be a church where if you've come from the wrong side of town and you've had the wrong upbringing, you can still buy a house or build a successful business business or complete your university degree or whatever. I want this to be a house of miracles. And I, I, I think that Jesus does too. And so maybe you've got to contest for your miracle. Maybe you're like the soldier this month where you've got to go onto enemy territory and fight for what God's called you to fight for. Well, you know what? When that happens, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting because if a miracle is worth it, then it's worth fighting for. Maybe you're here and you're like the athlete and it's a small little thing. You're like, I wasn't even going to put in a prayer card for that. It's just a $500 bill. It's just a cold or whatever it is. Learn to see God move in the small areas so it's consistent and normal in your life. And then when you've got to go after the big miracle, when the time is not on your side, you will say like David, I defeated a bear, I defeated a lion, I killed it, I'm not worried about it, send me into Goliath. I got what it takes. Maybe you're here though and it's a seed thing. It's a casserole. It's the person you're sitting next to. It's some other thing, right? I'm believing right now in Jesus' name that as we step out in whatever area it is, you will see the miraculous. Come on, I'll preach long enough. Why don't you stand to your feet? I am Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.